Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast, where we talk to foresters about how they are using digital technologies in their day-to-day forestry work. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Simon Ackerman from somewhere in South Africa, right, Simon? So so you got to bring me up to speed. Where are you these days? Yeah, hi, Kevin. Um, Great to meet or to chat to you tonight. It's been a while. How things have changed in the last couple of years. I'm based at, with Stellenbosch University in in Stellenbosch, which is in the Western Cape. But lucky enough to be, well, I work for Stellenbosch University, but I'm based in probably one of the more prettier provinces of the country in KwaZulu-Natal, up in the east coast of South Africa, in a place called Peter Marisburg. It's been in the news for all the wrong reasons. I don't know if you've heard. Tell our listeners. Tell our listeners. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we had a, a spate of unrest about a couple of weeks ago, um, which was a little bit un- unpleasant. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, negative side of South Africa. We had yeah political challenges with um, an ex-president and um, people deciding that they decided they should loot for a couple of days. So it was a bit a bit nervous. But anyway, Peter Marisburg is a lovely place. It's in the middle of um, our big timber growing area. Um, all the major timber companies here and yeah it's going into summer so it's getting hotter and greener yeah, yeah. that's basically where we are now when was the last time we saw each other i, I think it was in per- peter Meritzburg. uh uh was it at a conference or was it at an event but but it was a it was a while ago i think like it was it was a good few years, years ago it was eight years no, not that long ago. I was still oh, working at the ICFR. It was you were meeting with Mark Norris Rogers just before that's he right. retired. Right. Um, Mondi, it was yeah, at the yeah. ICFR, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it was during that you'd it was your second or third visit back. Yeah. I think yeah, we, that's Mark, right. you and Mark were doing a bit of a roadshow. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's what we call it the roadshow, which which uh for those who haven't been to South Africa, beautiful. I still fondly remember it, uh, more for reasons of being completely clueless to the geography. I think uh, uh we were in uh Cape Town and then we we met I met somebody and they said, you know what, it'd be great if you could come chat with us over in George. And I'm like, Yeah, sure, no problem. And they're like, How about tomorrow? I'm like, Yeah, no problem. Like I thought George was like like a suburb. Um, and then I remember enough, yeah. talking to someone, they're like, really, you're, are you leaving at four in the morning the next day? I'm like, why would I leave at four in the morning for like the suburb? And they're like, George is like a five hour drive from Cape Town. And I thought, <laughs> oh my God, like, what did I commit ourselves? And we did the drive anyways, but that's a side story. So, hey, it's great to see you. Awesome to, to reconnect. I'm really excited to have this discussion with you because some of our previous pods have been in the Earth Observation LIDAR, UAV, all sorts of different things, which I know you're involved with uh, in your research program and, and you're advising to, to industry, uh, but also you're, you're on the machinery side, I believe, in terms of forced operations. So I'm going to be curious uh, to pick your brain, but maybe to, to, to kick things off. I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask anyways, tell me how you became a forester. What's that, what's that connection? So it's, it probably stems to a familial connection. My dad was a forester um, for government forestry in South Africa, and we've lived on plantations our whole lives, well, until high school and varsity. So it's probably, it's, it's, it was never an intention to become a forester. Um, I chose forestry as a, as a career, as a second choice. So I wanted to do something else and then didn't have the marks and forestry was my second choice to get into varsity and I got it. So what was the first choice? What was the first choice? Tell us. 
Physiotherapy for some odd reason. I thought okay. I could I enjoyed I enjoy working with people and I thought I could apply that sort of enjoyment and and interpersonal skill through doing physio. And yeah. in hindsight, I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. <laughs> so forestry took you took you down that path. You studied and and yeah. you're still studying, I believe, when we were exchanging emails. You're I in am, the yeah. thesis. I call I call a thesis rage where you're writing your dissertation for those who have done grad school probably are chuckling right now but but tell us what you're up to right now. Yeah, I'm in the final throes of a, a PhD. So two papers in two papers have to be finished soon. <laughs> and then yeah, then just finalizing everything. Um, yeah, it's a, a, sort of a broad forest operations research topic looking at that into tree or tree variability and, and operational efficiency of machines and systems. So we, yeah, that's, that's where we occupying the stress in my life. And I wake up at three in the morning worrying about, but yeah, so it is the <laughs> thesis rage. Thesis rage indeed. And we'll, we'll talk more about that. So, so thinking uh, I'm hearing, you know, your, your, your dad had a connection to forestry. Uh, you kind of followed suit uh, in the end in that space. Um, tell me about, the type of work you've been involved, or maybe let's back up. So for our listeners who don't know commercial forestry in South Africa, maybe give us the the, the forestry 101, uh, a, lot, a lot of plantations, eucalyptus, edunia, some other things, but maybe uh, and refresh myself in terms of what's commercial forestry like in South Africa? Yeah, so it's exceptionally fast growing. Um, we we focus around two, two genuses, I suppose that's the right word. So we pine saw timber for pulp, for a diminishing pulp market and then mainly saw timber for structural timber and, and ply and then a, a massive uh, pulp market looking at eucalyptuses uh, or eucalyptus um, ranging from and our, and our terrain is sort of from subtropical coastal right up to temperate into the into the high felt um, short rotations our, our fastest growing pulp sites under correction grow up to eight, seven to eight years, seven, between seven and nine years in the maturity. Wow. Um, yeah, and then our saw timber between 20 and maximum 20, like 25 to 30 years. So it's a, it's a very short rotation and you're getting, I mean, our saw timber rotations, you're getting big timber, um, thin, which is, is artificially sort of managed to get the best quality by thinnings. Um, so you're getting just between just under a cube to just over a cubic meter pine saw timber tree out of the thing where they merchandise wow. that for for ply and for structural timber and then of course the bulk product which is eucalyptus which is just yeah cut up into little pieces and sent to the mill and yeah masticated yeah. and then yeah yeah very cool pulp, yeah so what, what type of, um, you know, before we jump into maybe poking a little bit more about your research and how you're interacting with um, industry, because if I remember correctly, when we first met, like that was a bit of your role, kind of liaison with industry and researchers and, and all that jazz. Um, but maybe thinking about uh, forestry in South Africa right now. Would it be a safe way to, would it be safe to say, you know, hand felling still a large uh, portion of operations or have we really gone mechanized now um, uh, going yeah. forward? Or maybe give us a lay of the land of, of how operations might look like. Yeah, operations are, they've moved dramatically from, from motor manual and manual operations. So we, I suppose you can look at it in two, sort of like almost two ranges. You have the, the medium to small scale 
landowner, which is ranging from one hectare to maybe 500 to 1,000 hectares. And their economies of scale still pretty focused on a, on a motor manual component, so chancel felling and um, tractor extraction and manual, lots of, lots of labor because they're still a, a rural employer. But if you go into the, into the big corporates, anything from 5,000 to up, but personal scales aren't quite right, but up to hundreds of thousands of hectares. Um, they have the economies of scale and the, and the, the requirement to produce timber quickly. So you, you've got mechanized systems on that, looking at cutting systems. Um, so harvester forward is um, very few um, tree length or further bunching systems, but it's a, uh, yeah. So the level land is moving, definitely moving away from, from manual through the availability of labor, um, decent work, um, and yeah, just to, and productivity and safety. So it's a, uh, it's key. For sure. For sure. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing to hear you say that no matter who we talk to and where it seems like skilled workforce is a, a, a theme that everyone's bumping in, into finding the right people actually uh, yeah. to do the work. So, so very cool. So thinking of, um, you know, from a technology point of view, what what does that look like in South Africa? Are, are you launching, you know, a drone out of your backpack to fly LIDAR for, for compartments? Are you guys, do you have a national program for terrain mapping? Uh, or is it mostly spaceborne? Or is it uh, aerial photography? Or, or kind of what, maybe help uh, myself yeah. and uh, our listeners understand what the, the current readiness is for, for technology in, uh, in general. I think the readiness is there. It's once again boils down to scale. Um, the big corporates have embarked on massive LIDAR campaigns from fixed wing aircraft. So the two big ones, the SAPIs and the Mondies, have basically covered the entire land holding. They have a LIDAR terrain map and LIDAR base set for everything. Um, there is, as far as I'm aware, no national program to, to do national inventory or to do, to, it's everything's done sort of on a localized level. Um, there's a massive appetite for that um for the the technology um we are yeah so the biggest barriers to the whole thing is that it's it's nice if you've got a fixed wing if you've got a, a registered pilot to do all the, the the big areas but if you go into a localized scale we battle with um with legislation we drone or uav legislation hampers us a bit you have to almost be a fully fledged um boeing pilot to be able to use the things oh wow um, but yeah, it's it's not that bad, but it's a it's the the process is quite laborious, um, which I think they've we've just done a, a series of workshops and we're busy doing a, busy on a project looking at how we can increase awareness and get a bit of value add for people using UAVs and the, and the information you can get from them. So that's been quite eye opening and looking at legislative things. Um, yeah, so ideally, every forester should have a a drone that you just have a look you can you can quick and easily view your 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 land the land holding or your landscape that you're dealing with um collect data from that process it and then make informed decisions but um i think we're still in the, in the point where we it's a nice tool it's a it's it yields fantastic information but we're still working on on, on the baby steps right we, yeah so we, there's a lot of there are a lot of people that say they can do the work. They can go out there and fly and they can produce what you want. But as soon as you start talking to them, <laughs> you realize that it's uh, quite far-fetched. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't understand exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think when, when I was down last time and, and when we saw each other, cost was still a cost in general for anything for that matter um, was, was prohibitive, I guess, cost prohibitive. Is that still the case or have, have uh, there new players on the, the ground now that are forcing, you know, prices down or, or what's that landscape look like in terms of vendors and suppliers in your neck of the woods? I think technology, the, the ability to deal with it has, has improved. So there are a few core suppliers and they've, they've, been, they've got long-term relationships with the people that have commissioned the work. Um, I think the quality of the data and the, and the ability to deal with the data has improved. Um, so the skill sets within the, the organizations. Um, so it's, it, it is still expensive, but I think if you, the way the work or the, the outcomes and the solutions that they've found by using said data have, have improved the, the value add. So the, right. the guys with the guys with the checkbook are a little bit more interested in signing the checks right. than they were. Um, we're still sitting in, in the discussions I have with the, the partners I work with. I'm still in a, in a sort of a liaison position with a few industry partners and between us and the university is that it's, a, it's becoming a very, if you dare to use the word, it's kind of a sexy tool. So it's nice that it's, you can make 3D maps, you can make, you can get volumetric information from things, you can identify trees, um, but it's how much, what, what, are you, what are you willing to pay for the quality of the data? Um, it's becoming more acceptable, and I think people are realizing that it's actually almost vital that we get this timeless information. But it's it is if you throw in the licensing, you throw in the, the hardware, um, the weather conditions. Um, yeah. On a on a recent deployment or recent project, we I think we had to deploy the he was supposed to be a professional contractor about four times before we actually got the data back. Um, and then also you realize that this guy is really didn't know what he was talking about. So that's, that's that whole story. <laughs> but he was yeah. only had to travel, yeah, I knew travel 40 kilometers, but he was still moaning about everything and then trying to tell us what we what we didn't, we knew what we wanted, and he wanted to try and persuade us that we wanted something else. Right, yeah. right, right. So so thinking of, of your role, um, if we kind of start maybe going backwards in time, the I, ICFR side of things, maybe tell us about, um, you know, the purpose of that organization, your role, and maybe some of those uh, key technological things you, you, you were involved with at that time, because I'll be curious to see where you are right now, and even with your own research, that progression of uh, through time, how that technology has evolved from the South African landscape. So maybe share with us uh, some of the uh, those stories and the type of work you've been involved with um, while during your ICFR ICFR days. Yeah, ICFR was a very I think it was quite an applied um, set of work. It was I was a very much a project manager or a program manager trying to just deal with a whole bunch of partners, trying to keep everyone happy with it. it was a we had a direction but it was it was very difficult to bring everyone together um the big projects we worked on we tried to we we got some good projects so nothing there a lot of lot of um technology transfer um a couple of sort of optimization projects that i started there which never really we, by the time it was um reaching this maturity then i left the icfr um so it was a it was a very much a liaison technology transfer post, not massive projects or not academic impact there, but it was, a, it was, it was a lot of herding cats, but it was a good, it was a good 
breeding ground for me to get experience within the industry and to get to know who was there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is okay. it's matured. Yeah. And what does ICFR stand for, Simon? It's the Institute for Commercial Forestry Research. Okay, cool. Is, but yeah, the institute was it built its up on a, a it's built its its reputation up on a on um, applied silviculture research and tree breeding, um, and then I brought an operation side into it through originally working for FISA, which is Forest Engineering South Africa, which is a very much a, a, a gold gold nut, the hardcore machines and roads and and timber transport and, and processing. Um, to operations, we started looking more at the supply chain, right, and then to where I am now. Yeah. Right, right. So, so that might be a good segue. Uh, as I mentioned on some previous podcasts, we we end up talking about some of the usual suspects of technology, geospatial technology. Maybe that's just bias from the world I'm coming from. But I'd love to pick your brain, if that's the right term, or explore what you're working on now. So, when we talk about machinery, heavy equipment, uh, productivity, performance. Uh, those are all in your wheelhouse, and you correct if I'm wrong, but I'm curious to, to, to understand what are you seeing on the technology landscapes? Like you, you mentioned, uh, mostly dealing with um, cut to length uh, equipment, so the harvester's forwarder uh, model. What are you seeing on the landscape uh, in terms of change in technology? Is it largely steady state, uh, you know, uh, the, the cut to length equipment coming in, or are they getting better? And if so, how? So maybe kind of uh, educate myself in terms of what are some of those key research things that you're working on and then why they're relevant to the industry players, not just in your neck of the woods, but truthfully anywhere in the world. Yeah, I think there's, be, there's I mean, the move towards mechanization is, is continuing. So it's, uh, it is the, the traditional sort of cut length processes, um, looking at more at the purpose-built machines versus the, the hybridized machines. So we have a a huge fleet of um, excavator-based harvesters, and I don't know if you can call it um, sort of construction tractors that are used to extract. Um, and those have their purpose because they're, they're the capital costs are, are more favorable, and they're not imported, and they you can sell them on as a as an excavator after you've done. Um, Technology-wise, I think there's a, a realization that there's you, you can't just apply a system to a to a landscape and that goes for and, and the work I'm doing we, we're trying to work across the barriers so we don't work just in harvesting we work in silviculture harvesting and then we try and bring measurements in on top of that so we can actually understand what's going on while we're doing doing the particular work so in the traditional systems it's the cut link harvester forwarder and it's now it's now moving towards how can we we've got to that almost a technology frontier where we're sitting where the productivity is good, the safety is good, everything's sort of working nicely. But what can we do to improve it? And that, and that's where we've seen <clears throat> seen huge interest in in the in the data, the, the data sets that are coming out of that. So the Stanford Stanford D protocol, what measurements you can get out of that, and how how can you improve those measurements? So um, through calibration. So the projects that we've I've worked on looking at. At harnessing Stanford data to develop long-term um, models on on machine performance, productivity, and cost, and how we can understand the the, the tree, the machine working within a particular landscape and on, on different tree sizes. We've also looked at at calibration and and the the benefit of calibration, and once again harnessing these data sets 
to understand that we can actually improve our, our operation and we can run a lot more um, a lot more from the, the information we, we acquire from these machines. Um, and then going into tracking and looking at, um, at terrain-based yield maps and how can we manage our terrain, our, our, our resource on a particular land set, land, land, land base. Um, so that's something that we don't, we, as in my group are starting to look at is looking at mapping and measuring of actually some UAVs um, where the bigger companies are through their LiDAR data sets and, and applying some photogrammetry on top are, are getting that, that <clears throat> fine scale terrain data being slope and roughness right up to what, what resource is sitting there, where the resource is, what, and then I, I think the next step is how can we best apply our machinery resource to get the best optimized product for the market. Right. So not really, yeah. So in, I mean, in the harvesting side, that's that. Excuse me, it's just knocking my feet here. <laughs> um, so in the harvesting side, that's probably where we're looking. Silviculture, um, massive move. I suppose it's a progressive move from from very manual operations to manual assisted. Um, once again, looking at <clears throat> using retrospective tree data, um, where it was, where the tree was, what what the growth was, and what the Right. And using those those parameters as as clues to where we can expect better performance. So on the on the precision forestry side, on the where we plant, can we get better performance on our plantings? Um, how can we manage our site in terms of where we plant and how we plant? Um, mechanized pitting, um, preparing the holes for the plants, um, understanding weed management through one of the wild ideas is using those big drone, big UAV drones to apply spot chemicals to okay. problem areas, visualizing weeds and plant counting trees. Um, you know, there's a huge interest in, in companies like <laughs> like Skylab because they they're quite prominent in the in in the marketing. Their marketing is very good. Yeah. Everyone thinks that they they can provide the one one fit solution to everything, um, <laughs> which I, I I'm not I mustn't miss them. I think they they it's very exciting what they're doing. But I think we 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 are we're moving towards that and we need to we have the, the skill sets to to work through these processes and understand right. it right. so so i'm curious simon to, to pick your brain um you know in some work that that we're dealing with is around uh, around productivity and um whether it's uh productive machine hours or utilization at the equipment level or if we look let's say to latin america they're like oh we don't we what's well, not they don't care about that but performance is more uh defined as you know did you thin the right tree that that was supposed to be thin or how many trees did you harvest per per some unit um per se in 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 south africa in, in your work i guess what are you seeing on the performance side? Like, are there, like, like you mentioned, uh, obviously slope and uh, terrain roughness, like those are some usual ones, but is there anything that's popping out in your, in your findings in terms of that cut to length technology that that's surprising you in terms of a factor for, for productivity? I think one of the big ones is, is um, I suppose we, we historically, and then maybe I can't generalize across the world, but we have a, an approach where we apply the biggest biggest machine with the biggest engine and the biggest harvesting head to a, <clears throat> a landscape. Um, 
or to a, a, a target. And I think it's some of the work that we've done recently. I think that's 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 moving. We move. We have to move away. From, we can't, we with the resolution of the information we have, we can move away from that. So okay. we don't have to, yeah, we don't have to incur massive capital cost in buying a a machine, and this goes from <laughs> from using a big excavator to pit holes, which to having a, a massive harvester cutting gum pulp. Um, we can we have enough information to to move away from these big capital cost items to understanding that. We don't have to, we can be selective in what we, we do. Um, and we have enough information on our, on our, on our planning, in our planning systems to be able to predict better. Um, <clears throat> uh, we, you know, I mean, we've done a lot of, lot of time studies on, on the basics. So we, we know the relationship between tree size and, and efficiency, but I think we can move down away from the average tree size for a compartment or a stand down to almost um, classes within within the site because we have that that resolution of data. Right, right. And yeah. and what do you think? I, I'm hearing like right sizing the the iron or the piece of equipment for exactly what you're harvesting. Why do you think people are buying bigger, better? Do you think it's the the OEM manufacturers just doing a great job at selling, or it's really <laughs> just the fact that we don't know, so we're just going bigger just to cover our basis? What what are your thoughts on that uh, based on what you're seeing? Yeah, I think that's a. I think that's a thing. Is that they, the bigger the better. The the we know that the bigger machine will do everything, um, but it's. I think we we can move further with more finesse. So it's, it's sharpening sharpening the blades to make sure that we we don't just go in there and just mess all up. Not mess all up, but just sort of just apply apply one one fix. Right. Um, right. I'm sure the I'm sure the OEM suppliers are doing very well. Um, because there's also probably an impression that we need we need robust machines to deal with a, a potentially an, an, an illiterate an illiterate operator an operator that I mean it sounds really bad but I think our labor force our same can be from they 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 know how to, our labor force can yeah how do you put it. Um, we deal with a, a semi-skilled labor force. Um, we have an operator who's trained, he can use the machine, understands everything, but when you 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 move away from uh, purchasing a, a, a highly technical harvester with a, a computer system that gives you a lot of information because the person that is, is operating that particular machine can't use the computer, is given limited access to the computer. Um, the, it's one size fits all. It's they just make sure it cuts roughly the the, the right length. And they just deal with it as it does. Right. So, um, <clears throat> and that was so. It was it was big, robust machines with limited um, limited bells and whistles. Um, not very technical, just to get the job done. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. our skill force is yeah, our labor force is improving. Our um, we get better jobs. We we pay the, the operators better, and they. And because they get paid better, they, so there's still a requirement of a bit more skill, right? To do it, and they're professionals, so right, right. Well, I, oh, I think what you're saying in, in in some way, and it's 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 prevalent elsewhere, is um, your your workforce your workforce is only skilled to the extent that they're well educated and trainings yeah. invested in them, and and that's the same thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I remember when I was 
uh, visiting last time, that was an issue of finding the right people to operate these pieces of machinery. Yeah. But um, in some respects, it's kind of funny because when you think about forestry, uh, everything's got to be easy. You make it too complicated. It's like the best of us are still not going to figure out how to, to work the no, damn, exactly. damn exactly. thing. So, yeah, very, very interesting. So um, thinking of, of, of uh, operations down in your neck of the woods. So thinking of you mentioned at the start there, you're doing your Ph.D. research. Um, investigating some of these things. Tell me a little bit more about that, the, the interplay between some of the technology that uh, you're seeing, you've been involved with, with your PhD research. Is there a connection or is this really more uh, a different thing on the, the forest science side of things? I think um, <laughs> the PhD was sort of birthed on, on an understanding or trying to understand the, the effect of tree size. I thought I was, I was flying into Nelspreet and I was looking at the at the, the orchards or the, the orange groves below, as you fly into Nelspreet, it's full of oranges before you get to yeah, and the pine trees. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you look at these different crowns and you see the spacing and, and we all know that those, those affect the, the, the tree and the stem. Um, and I had this idea that well, how, can we, how can we predict, not predict, but how can we measure what, what's there before we harvest it? Um, and the idea was looking at tree variability and, and capacity and how we can understand the, the effect of these, this resource on our, on our, on our bottom line. Um, be it optimization to a particular product, to transport and to the mall. So it's, I'm, yeah, I, I like to, I'm trying to build, a, build the skill set, but I'm, I'm working on, on more the, like the, probably the pure forest operation side. So I, I'm, I'm looking at the, tree, the machine data. I've got a whole set of data, which I've processed and the paper's just being accepted. Looking Congrats. at models and how we can, yeah. So I'd looked at, at big, a big set of data, applied a, and I thought it was quite a challenging modeling approach to it. And, and we found it quite interesting things, looking at the sweet spots, looking at how, how, the, how the machine's performance across a, a set of, of trees, how it accelerates, it peaks, and then drops off. And so, was, what was that? What was the sweet spot you found? Yeah, so if I, I had two capacity machines, and I found the sort of the culmination of the of the productivities. Um, I, I should know the data, but I can't remember. It <laughs> no worries. Okay. So it was it was quite it was quite cool. Well, interesting is that you had a massive range from very small trees to very big trees, and you had. A large capacity machine who had a, very, and a smaller capacity machine. It was, it was fantastic to see how it, how the the data sets, the, the models moved sort of equally across this to a point, and they diverged, and then the one machine just carried on with a slight dip, and then suddenly the smaller machine just dropped off at a certain oh, capacity. Okay. Which is it was it was nice to see. It made me feel a little bit better about myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Validated um, your thinking. Yeah, validated my thinking, and then yeah, just looking and on that on that trend, looking at tree size and um, and site. And then through a project that we, we got awarded through our, our industry body, Forestry South Africa, as well, which has administered a, a government grant. Um, we've furthered that looking at, at our developing UAV and photogrammetry skills, um, which I'm trying to apply, apply in, the, in the next paper, which is still in, in, its, in its infancy. So yeah, that's technology wise, it's, it's it fascinates me, and, I, and I'm trying to build the skills up to work with that kind of those those data. Um, but it is a cool. so the, the biggest highlight was that that big data set. Yeah, and taking that 
now we know that there's a, a, a tree size effect and we can quantify it. And how can we look at distributions of trees if we skew the distributions to the, to the smaller, to the bigger with um, certain ranges and what does that affect on, on the machine? And then going right down to, uh, I've got a, a LIDAR data set of, of, a, of a big compartment, which I want to apply my machine data with um, fine scale tree data and so tease some nice metrics out of that. Yeah, for sure. Very cool. Very cool. I, I digressed a bit there, but I think it made sense. No, no, it, it's great. I, 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 I like it's, it's, there's a research side of things. And as I said, it's a different view on technology, but equally important. It's not always about, you know, maps and earth observation, you know, space observation, yeah. remote sense, like, like forestry's boots on the grounds, right? Machines on the ground. Yeah, so exactly. this, this is, uh, trust me, there's a lot of people I talk to that are fascinated with the area of your uh, research and, and are actively asking similar questions around productivity and performance and trying to understand uh, things. Which truthfully for me, I'm always surprised coming more from a pure tech point of view, how can you not know this before you just dropped whatever half a million bucks on that piece of iron? Like surely, yeah. you know, being a forester, you're doing your cost benefit analysis, but hey, sometimes you buy the biggest thing that you can afford and just, um, you know, do yeah. what you got to do for sure. Exactly. I'm curious to, to understand more in South Africa. From a capacity point of view, we talked about there's there's a skilled a shortage of skilled workers, uh, you know, not just foresters in general, general, but operators. I'm probably sensing also like just operating some of this technology. Um, if you're researching it in the labs, uh, maybe aside from the corporates, maybe there's not as many small organizations fully adopting this technology because maybe you haven't done the, the knowledge transfer or the case studies and the workshops and, and whatnot. But in terms of capacity building within South Africa for foresters to adopt new digital technologies anywhere from the machine to like GIS to machine learning, you name it, uh, what does that look like? Is it is uh, obviously Stellenbosch is a well-known university. I, I remember when I traveled there, it's one of the flagship universities with, with uh, forestry and forest science. Um, but what does it look like on the lay of the land? Do you feel like there's a lot of investment going into technology, forest technology, or do you, do you, do you feel like it's still just kind of trucking along and, and doing its thing? I think it's, um, I think we, yeah, there's a lot more going into it. The, the, but that's that's the scale. Um, it's the one the companies that are able, or groups that are able to uh, spend the money on the on the resources and to get it done. Um, <clears throat> internally and within our our group, we've got massive a, a huge. Well, let's start again. So we've we are improving our our skill sets. So we have um, a, a big push into data science. We have a, a connection through our group, through forest operations at, at Stellenbosch University. Into data science, we have a postdoc starting on, on a, within the School of Data Science. So Stellenbosch University has just established or had established a, a School of Data Science with, with agri-sciences as one of the key components to it. Um, <clears throat> and with agri-science, within agri-sciences, forest operations has become the, the forestry component. So we have a, a postdoc working on that. So there's, there's a need. I think we, we are, as, a, as foresters that have been trained, we not we do a bit of GIS and we have an awareness of of lidar, but we're not we're not pursuing that as much as we we could. Um, 
so we get the skills in from 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 geoinformatics and geography which are fantastic because those people the, the people that they're producing there are incredible they can they cross border and they they work right. it's the abilities there um but it'll be nice as we as we progress and on our master's level we're trying to we're starting there getting our, our students into projects that use these data and these these this, this technology so mm -hmm. it's it's a, it is a scale thing i think it, it's it's we need to get as a as a into in terms of research and tertiary education we need to become a lot more um a lot more skilled and we need to start getting getting project ideas and start teasing the testing the waters and getting our, our company partners in in on board to understand what you want to do and also then with enthusiasm become right. to support us um right. which they are so yeah we've been lucky with the with the project that we just had or yeah. that has come to an end now that we've, we've managed to produce a, a, a we are producing a few master students on on high-tech solutions to forestry problems yeah um, and it's the first time that we've well not the first time but it's one of the, the more recent approaches that we've managed to do yeah very cool well, well we you are, well, you know, it comes down to the readiness of the, the the community and the industry as a whole. There's no point trying to push something, you know, the boulder up the hill only to get steamrolled by the the damn thing because the someone's not <laughs> yeah. ready for it, right? So I always say with foresters, there's uh, there's a sweet spot. There's a right time where they're ready to adopt the technology or ask some of those questions to go forward. I'm going to shift our discussion a little bit. I know you mentioned supply chain. You mentioned uh, uh, you know the trucking side of things. Tell me more about what's happening in that world from a technology point of view are these trucks rigged with electronic logging devices are we tracking them or are we monitoring them for performance you know thinking of fuel burn or um cycle times uh whatnot uh, what can you share on that, that front in terms of what's happening in in uh, in south africa yeah i think in terms of the big contractors that's that's definitely what they're doing there okay um, i don't it's one of the things we haven't really focused on in the in the recent past. Um, I think tracking and and logistics is is massive. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So they, the the tracking, the, the rudimentary tracking that they they do through their fleet fleet management systems and the fuel burn and the and the cycle times. Um, I, I think probably one of the more professional contractors in the in the country are transport contractors. Um, moving also, we have that the, <clears throat> the move away from the standard truck configurations to PBS trucks. So we have a lot of um, extra length, extra extra yeah, extra length, extra extra low. What do you call it? Extra volume trucks on the road. So, um, so forgive for, my ignorance. PBS trucking help help this guy out. Performance based standard. So it's okay. uh, it's the, the this is testing me. Yeah. So the theory is that you can you can extend your truck size and configuration to have more load. So you have. Yeah, so your rand per ton kilometer goes down. You have less trucks on the road for the same volume, um, and it's a it's a an, an, um, an abnormal load basically. Okay. Um, so it moves from the up to a yeah, I think it's a forty five ton capacity, if not more. And don't quote me on that, but yeah. yeah. So but what did your did your PhD supervisor tell you, Simon, that this is like? A pre-test of your dissertation. I'm, I'm here to grill you to get you warmed up. Didn't did they tell you that? I'm just joking. Of yeah, course, no, it's good to getting there. And this, it's funny. I've got it in my mind's eye. I've just been. Oh, I've got a, a student working on a 
on a supply chain project where she's simulating our, our forestry supply chain. And cool. she's been hunting me for these random questions. And she's probably asked me so many times, I've blanked out what she's asked. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so she's she's doing a technomatics simulation from from seedling arriving at at the at the stand right through to intake at the mall, oh, which is cool. a massive thing. And um, she's probably written off far too much, but she's done really well. So it's yeah, yeah, very yeah. cool, very cool. So yeah, yeah. So so yeah, thinking. That, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to, uh, to interrupt you. Yeah. So I suppose the biggest technology in in our in our transport focus is looking at is less trucks on the road. Right. Um, so these PBS trucks are specialist drivers, very well monitored. Um, they, they simulate the routes, they've got a load, they, there's less accidents, there's less fuel burn, there's so many more, so many potential benefits from it. And it's not just, it started in forestry. Um, they took the idea from the Aussies and their road trains. Um, okay. And we've worked in forestry and now the PBS system is throughout fuel transport into people transport. Um, what else did I see the other day? Yeah, so the, the most remarkable one is a big field track and massive field track. Um, right. Yeah, so it's a, it's it's that that theory. So how can you safely apply bigger loads across our? Because yeah. we've got too many trucks, and our rail system is not as effective as it used to be. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And thinking of uh, more recently, um, you know, the 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 well, not more recently in general, I guess, climate change and the role of forestry in climate change what does that mean in in south africa like like over here in north america like there's a lot of press um in the climate tech space in terms of you know carbon market carbon exchanges and and carbon credits um is this something that's happening as well in south africa or is it maybe a bit more muted than yeah. north america what are what are your thoughts on that we have a we have a carbon tax challenge it's either it's arriving what's coming um so we yeah i'm not exactly sure on the, the nuts and bolts of it but we the carbon tax is here um right. and that's a mitigation measure towards climate change yeah. um our our forestry landscape is is has often been the back the, the scapegoat towards water use and those challenges um so we haven't we yeah so in terms of yeah, so climate change, it's there. We, we're seeing it within our, our growing areas and we're seeing it in our rainfall events. Um, so it's it's there. We have to become a little more climate smart with the, the species that we've, we've breed for particular sites. Um, so our sites are either becoming getting more rain or they're getting less frequent rain or then the events of rain are becoming more sporadic. Right. Um, yeah, so it's that balance. I think we, we're away from the, the problem of, of the forestry landscape seen as a water use it is a water use activity but um we've done a lot of mitigating measures to, to improve our, our footprint on on how our our forestry landscape played out but yeah. um i think as carbon sinks and our carbon tax the the quantification of that is becoming quite it's, it's starting to become more important yeah um, i know the carbon tax there was a the it was gazetted and it's and I know the, the big companies in the, in the forestry industry is, is working on how can we, how we do it. Um, because you have these big moles that produce a lot of carbon, but yeah. then you also have, and the life cycle analysis of everything through the growing, through the growing stuff. So it's, right. it's, it's, it's there. Um, right, right. I don't yeah, think, we, um, yeah. 
<clears throat> yeah, we definitely also see, you know, electrification of truck, like, well, electrification of everything uh, happening. So, so I'm, I'm always curious, you know, as we look at other geographies around, around the world, like what, what's that hot theme kind of yeah. like, it, it's pretty, honestly, it's pretty odd here in North America. Um, you know, a lot of research dollars going into it, a lot of venture cap dollars going into that climate tech space with a, uh, a forestry and uh, ag component um, there. So, so definitely interesting to hear that side. So, so thinking of <clears throat> from your seed and what you've seen, um, you know, I love this conversation because you're more the, the, the forester forestry. You know, I've talked with other people more techie than, well, I shouldn't say that still foresters by training, but you're, you're definitely boots on the ground looking at uh, different metrics around performance and whatnot, more on the forest operation side of things. So the question I always ask uh, the guests of this podcast, what gets you excited over the next one year, three year, 10 year? And I've, of course, I know a lot of people are like, oh, Kev, like 10 years, that's so far out. It's like, I can't predict that, but, uh, but it's still a fun exercise. But I'm going to pose you that question, Simon, like thinking of the work that you're doing, the research you're doing, the trends you're seeing in industry with adoption of technology, some faster than slower, I'm sensing maybe a different pace than some other jurisdictions around the world, which is okay. Forestry is local. We all, we all know that specific to the local conditions and the economics there. But what gets you excited about the one-year horizon and maybe the three-year horizon? What do you see coming? Other than finishing my PhD. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think the one-year, yeah, we rapid movement towards first measurements and visualization and how we can how we can use understand our resource better um i think we've we there's a a project that we're working on looking at how we can deal with steep slopes better um yeah. um merchandising and act and getting getting the right product off yeah so understanding there so it's the visualization and, me and measuring um taking that that, that those data to a point where we can tell our, mach our machine operator where to produce what. And it's something similar to what you had with your, with your operational tracker yep. component, where you could, you could see that this site can do something better than that site. Um, I don't think we've, and so it's taking that information, then moving it towards, so you can almost, I think, and it's happening some in other places, but I think we can go to a point where we can almost be a, a fit for purpose order. You can say, I need X, Y, Z, and you can go and say, oh, well, let's do that, that part of, the, of, our, of our stand to produce this. Um, and then once the, once the stand's done, we, we go and we've got a, a, a blank canvas that we can then consolidate all the data that we had, refly, relook at, plan it better, looking at how, how we can improve our operation. So it's, it's, it is the precision forestry approach is, is taking, understanding what we have and, and dealing with it more effectively. So yeah, one year, I think we just build on our, building on our, on our remote sensing base and how we can operationalize that and where, to where the money is spent and made. Um, three years on looking at sensors, um, how can we record record more data at a high resolution? I don't know what we're going to do with all the data, but I think we've, with our with our, our roots into data science in our data science section and the data science buzzword getting bigger and bigger, mm -hmm. um, and how we can work with that, I think it's going to become a lot 
more effective. Um, yeah, it's surprising that, I mean, we, we deal, we harvest 16 million, last time I heard 16 million cubic meters or tons of timber a year on one, just over a million hectares. So it's a lot of timber, yeah. um, but it's still, there's, there's definitely room to understand the resource better. Yeah. We, we, and not just using it as a blanket approach. Yeah. Um, yeah. Applying precise tools to how it should be done. So yeah, I even I suppose my planning or mindset horizon is very limited at the moment. It's like the next few months. But I think what I'd like to do is like to immerse myself into understanding these these phenomena a lot more and work with with students and with projects that we can can understand it better. Um, yeah, I mean, looking at at roads and drainage and and sure. massive rainfall events, um, so we can we can actually get the timber from where it's supposed to be or weather into the into the mills to the market. Um, yeah, make yeah. sure the timber is coming off in the better in a better state than it was in the last rotation. There's yeah. less waste. There's <clears throat> yeah, well, 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 I used to always joke it's uh, about the right wood to the right mill at the right time, and and, exactly, and it's yeah. interesting to hear you make that comment and more data. You know, some folks say, you know, do we almost have too much data that we don't know how to actually pull information or insights from it? Uh, time will tell type of thing. What what? So so as we wind down, thinking about that 10 year horizon, obviously you're in a different geography than, than myself. You're, you're going into summer. I'm, I'm, I believe I'm, I'm starting to cry. I'm going into fall winter. Uh, so I, I if, if uh, there was no COVID, I'd be trying to find a way down to your, your neck of woods. Loved it when I visited a couple of years ago. Uh, but thinking of 10 years out, you know, if you were to pick that one thing based on what you're seeing now as, as maybe that game changer, in forestry, whether it's from the operation side, whether it's from the logistics, supply chain um, side, is there one thing that you would pick and go like, man, this this is going to totally transform our our industry? Yeah, I'd, as you were talking about it, I, I like the idea of uh, the automation component of things. Uh, there's been a bit of a UFO, and I unfortunately couldn't stay awake that late last night to listen to the robotics one. It was on, it was a podcast or yeah, a, a webinar last night. Um, yeah, I, I tried, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> um, at midnight last night. Um, I know my colleagues sat up and listened to it, but it's it's how can we, it's it's once again, it's it's automation. So can we can we harness the big data sets that we have to make informed decisions? So can we take give the, the operator or the, the practitioner or the forester more skills to make it make more effective decisions. And if AI or automation can do the better decision, then just have the have the person as the as the warm body facilitating the process through the, the landscape. Um, I suppose that's where it is. It's just unfortunately uh, I suppose we as humans we are moving further and further away from actually using our own brains, but maybe we can use our brains in a more, more efficient way with. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, a great comment. It's it's a, a consistent theme across the board. Truthfully, what I, I talk with different people, it's the it's the way of the future. Automation is going to pick up more. Um, I think by default, a lot of people worry. Oh, it's like, well, is my job at risk or something? Uh, I, I I've always had the thesis of um, you might be doing a different job, but uh, the moment someone says, you know, you don't need boots in the the force anymore, you you uh, just throw throw that person overboard or whatnot, that's uh, that that's not going to work with forestry per se, at least right now. So thanks so much for your time, Simon. I, I enjoyed the conversation. I know, uh, oh, you, you know, when we were uh, warming up, I was joking, like, you've got your dog there, you're probably nibbling at your ankle. I'm trying to keep my, my kids from uh, jumping through the screen <laughs> screen behind me. But this is the world win today. It's like, we're all working. No, exactly. Home. No. I know you mentioned you guys are, had a pretty hard lockdown uh, in your neck of the woods there, and uh, and uh, you know up here in Canada, at least where I am, we're we're starting that fourth wave, and fingers crossed that's uh, uh, as far as it goes, or maybe the last one. Who knows? But for those yeah, of our listeners in your area, or even internationally, that are interested in collaborating with you and your your research uh, themes how do they get a hold of you um, email website linkedin facebook twitter instagram uh tiktok yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not yet <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so email is um ackerman at sun.ac.za um i'm sure i can email you that as well then I can put that we have show a, notes, yep. yeah uh, first pro our website is forestproductivity.co.za basically uh, a website portal for Everything to do with um, our productivity, forest productivity initiative, as well as um, and work that we do, we try and showcase that as much. Our live site is LinkedIn. Um, it's Forest Operations. I think it's SU Forest Operations, but I can I can send the text to you properly. Um, sure. Yeah, we try and keep it as as up to date as possible. We run a a forest Cinnabush University Forest Operations first Thursday presentation every month. Okay. Um, and that we showcase student work, researchers, international collaborators, forestry practitioners. Um, we uh, keep the theme forest, forest operations and, and we are put a 15 minute presentation together every Thursday at our lunchtime, one o'clock, um, which I can, yeah. yeah, I, yeah I, your lunchtime might be me trying to stay awake uh, past midnight, yeah, told, uh, past midnight uh, yeah. to watch it there though. So say, hey, hey my yeah. friend, it was great seeing you again. Thanks so much for, for joining stay safe and definitely looking forward to connecting with you uh, in person at some point in time and, yeah. and hopefully at a conference would love to connect uh, again i know you guys are doing great research and, and working with industry so all the best thanks for joining and uh, keep in yeah, touch thank you kevin awesome yeah stay safe too it's a it's a crazy world these days eh? absolutely <laughs> will do take care